Welcome to Life in Private Staffing with me, Philippa Smith, MD of Silver Swan Recruitment. As we all know, the private sector is a pretty crazy one. Not only can it be very challenging to work in, but it can be pretty lonely too, as let's face it, no one really understands what it is that we do. So let's come together, help, support, educate and inspire one another, and hopefully we'll have a laugh along the way. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to another episode of Life in Private Staffing with me, Philippa Smith, as you know. This is actually going to be our last episode of the year. We're now sort of in November. We've got loads going on. And yeah, we've basically we've got loads of plans for the new year in terms of the podcast. We've got um, a sort of new marketing team in-house at the moment who are just fab. And um, we've got loads and loads of good ideas for the podcast moving forward. So it's going to be a completely different style of podcast from January. So we thought, let's get this wrapped up and then we can spend the next six weeks um, planning that. So it's going to be a complete new rebrand. May even change the name. We'll see if I get a cave on that. But basically, really mix it up. I think the conversations are really important. I think they've been really useful. I think the guests have been fabulous. But we've had the same format for a very long time. So um, without telling me my podcast is boring, I think they're telling me my podcast is boring. Um, But no, we want to just mix it up. So the plan is from January... A whole new feel, a whole new look, a whole new vibe. Gonna have lots of different segments, involve lots of different people in the company to come on. Not necessarily always talk about private staffing. We might talk a bit about recruitment, might talk about some of the stuff we're doing in our personal lives that could be quite relevant. Um, Try and bring an educational piece into it, try and learn some bits about the industry along the way. So, and obviously still have the odd guests here and they're coming and sharing their story. So, we're also gonna video loads more of it so we could use that bit of marketing. So, I'm just handing over the management to somebody else who's much, much better suited to this. So, lots of and lots of cool things to look forward to from the podcast from January. And so we're just going to wrap up today, really. So um, the team's put together a bit of the best bits from the entire year. So I thought I'd update you on a few things that are going on our end and some of the things that you can expect to see from us over the coming few weeks and months. And then we'll go straight into the best bits for those that haven't caught every episode. Maybe, yeah, it's a good way to have a little catch up. So but yeah, but firstly, thanks everybody for tuning in. Season four, this is four full years of doing this. Like, I can't believe I've stuck at it. <laughs> Very unlike me. No, it's not true, actually. I do get strangely obsessed with stuff. So four years in. So yeah, we'll be going to our fifth season in January. As you know, we're due a bit of a mix up and a bit of a change to our format. So, but it's been such a good year, like loads of episodes, loads of different guests from all over the world. The reason I love the podcast so much is because I don't do recruitment anymore. And so not doing recruitment means if I don't do the podcast or I don't get involved in the communities, I just don't think I'm clued up in the market as well as an MD should be. Not to put other MDs down, but I feel that if you're an MD and you're not doing recruitment, nor talking to candidates on a regular basis, I don't know how you're meant to know what the market's doing at the moment and and how you can support it better. So what I love about it is it's keeping me every single week talking to different candidates, talking to people that are involved. I'm just getting just getting the lowdown. Do you know what I mean? Like, and the communities is another brilliant way we're doing that. So being privy to all the WhatsApp groups and all the conversations, like I know what the house managers in New York are struggling with today because I can see them talking about it. You know, I know what um, are the best vendors in Saudi at the moment because I can see it. So I just feel really fortunate to be in the position I'm, I am to have this podcast and to have the community because it effectively helps me run my agency as best I can and provide as much value and news to you guys as possible. So everyone that's come on the podcast, I've been so grateful to. A lot of people that do it, it's not in their comfort zone and they really push themselves to do it. I've had people tell me that it's the scariest interview they've ever had and they're 
They've had like 20 years in the private sector. But yeah, really great. And I've loved it. And the communities have just been fabulous. They've gone from strength to strength. I talk about them all the time. We onboarded Chris back in May, who basically is head of our sort of sales, head of growth. Um, and a lot of that's been through the community. So we've got 11 communities now. We're setting up the 12th community literally over the next week or two with Switzerland. So we've bro- Europe's a big place. And we broke off um, recently and set up a Monaco and South of France separate uh, group. So the conversation could be a little bit more... Um, specific. And we're just setting up a Switzerland one as well, because again, conversations can be a little bit more localized, you know. But yeah, 11 communities soon to be 12. We've got over a thousand community members now. Like how cool is that, man? Like that's just so cool. We've done multiple events all over. We've done our trip to America. We've done various things in the UK. I'm trying to think when Dubai was. Was Dubai at the beginning of the year? Um, when we got the boat, that was really cool. Uh, Charlotte and Chris are about to go over to Monaco uh, and meet a, a group of people for some food, which would be really nice and have a load of meetings. What We haven't been able to go over to Saudi and organize anything yet, but what we've loved to see is the people on the Saudi WhatsApp group are just doing their own events. Like they're meeting up for food. They've met up for food two, three times. So I'm just loving what I'm seeing. Like I'm just loving that what I envisaged the communities to be is actually what they are. Like I wanted them to be a safe space for people to come together and talk who actually know what the hell each other are doing, you know? The support in terms of the recommendations, that happens a lot. But even just like advice with this, advice with that, having a bit of a rant if you need, making friends, you know? And then when we do these events, we do them because we want to come meet you, but it's more, we want you to meet each other. So I've really invested in it. You all know I don't make any money from it. I don't want it. That's not the drive. Most of what I do isn't for that. As long as we can pay bills and get my staff paid here, all I'm trying to do and all I think about all the time is how can we make this industry a better place? How can we make it a safer space? Um, How can we protect you guys working in this industry? How can we ensure that everyone's treated fairly? How can we make sure that everyone's progressing and developing? You know, a lot of you have seen a lot of the training and workshops that we're trying to do, and they're going to continue in the new year. Because who else is offering you training? Who else is offering you the ability to do some self-development? Like, if you're not developing, I just don't think... I don't think if you're not in a role where you're developing, then you shouldn't be in that role. But at the same time, I appreciate that most of you in your roles are just trying to survive. And so I like that we're able to put these webinars and workshops and stuff on. Um, obviously, we've done two of the Tracy Jones. We've got our third one end of November. We'll then take a break. And the second half of the program, the next, the final three modules will be in the new year. I'm also talking to a really interesting lady called Sylvia, who um, she's a communication expert, really. Um, and I'm and I'm doing sessions with her personally, but I'm going to get on. She's going to she's off to do a couple a couple of free sessions for you guys on how to communicate effectively, like physically talk effectively. She does lots of works with ultra high net worths who potentially aren't British, but they want to speak better English. Uh, or have a better accent. She does lots of work with them. She's done, she's worked with Obama. Like she's worked with some really cool people that have to go out there and do really scary speeches. And she sort of works with them uh, uh, on a, how to speak really effectively. So we're going to get her on because I think you guys being in the roles that you are, you being able to communicate effectively, both upwards and downwards, I think it's really important, especially upwards. How do you communicate effectively with a very intimidating boss that just shouts all the time? And there are ways and there are tricks and stuff. Anyway, so we've got that coming up. Anything that you guys are have in your head, like this would be really useful, that would be really useful, tell me and I'll bring someone in to do some training. I want to get the Tracy James program done. I don't want to overload everybody with training, but that'll sort of finish end of quarter one next year. Then, you know, if you guys feel strongly about a particular subject, I'll find someone to come in and do a training session with you. you know, like, so I'm going to sort of like tell it around you. I might even send a survey at the end of the, the, end of the year to 
uh, people on database and people in our communities to find out what might be useful. But yeah, we just want to do more with it. We're going to continue growing them. We'll continue expanding the number of communities. And um, just, yeah, I want to be like a community-led agency rather than like a recruitment agency now, you know. So that's really good. Um, as I say, we've got a London event. I'm recording this a week before. So I hope I'm right in thinking that tomorrow we've got a London event, Thursday the 16th. Um, anyone that doesn't know about it, you're welcome to come. Even if you are in a different community in Europe or Dubai or Saudi, but you happen to be in London, come. Um, it's the first one we're doing that we're putting a bit even more money into it, um, more than just uh, drinks for everybody. We've got a keynote speaker in. Keynote speakers, man, are not cheap, by the way. <laughs> They're doing a half price for me, but it's because it's Tracy and her partner. But um, I need to get into speaking, get thousands of pounds for it. But um, we've got a key speaker in. He is fascinating. He basically is a special observer. He goes, basically, he goes out into um, deep into enemy territory to do up to observe for up to two weeks at a time before special forces go in. So he'll, and he's going to come and talk about it all next week, where he's got to literally live in a hole with three other guys for 10 days and not make a sound. And they have to eat and live and sleep and poop and stuff in that hot. Like, how would you even do that? So what he's going to come and talk about is how, um, what an intense environment and uh, that is and how some of the skills he's learned from conflict management and keeping the peace and living harmoniously, how can be applied to a private household. So really, really interesting. So we've got this key speaker coming and we'll have some drinks and people can stay and network and stuff. So that should be really cool. I think we've got quite a few people coming. But yeah, other than that, as a company, it's been a great year. It's been a record year for us in terms of revenue growth. We've had new members of staff. We've outgrown our office again. We've actually made a big decision next year. We're going to stop using a serviced office because it's extortionate. Um, I'm going to, we're going to buy an office. So we're going to invest and buy ourselves our first wholly owned uh, space for us to call home, which would be really cool. That would be at some point next year. I've pulled out some stats, actually, just to show you how busy we've been. This is only up until what day today? 10th of November. As of 10th of November, this is assuming everybody in my team puts everything in the database as they should. So it might not all be there. We've taken 466 new roles. We've sent 2,435 CVs. We've had 956 interviews and we've placed 271 permanent members of staff. I thought that was pretty interesting. So yeah, I might do that again at the end of the year and see how much the growth has been. So yeah, busy. Um, yeah, 2,500 CVs we've sent. So um, busy team. And also we're a team of 14, but five of us in the team of 14 aren't billers. So myself, Matt, who does ops, operations. Um, Chris, obviously, is our head of sales. And then we've got two in the marketing team. So I've only actually got nine billers. So nearly 300 placements with nine billers is pretty impressive. Like they've been working their ass off. It's about 30 permanent places ahead, 30 permanent placements each. So that's not, not far off one a week, you know, one a week, one every two weeks for my consultant. So I've got a good team. They know that I love them. I do love them. I wouldn't be anything without them. And they've been working bloody hard. So I think that's so cool. And then the only other sort of updates is uh, as of this week, new website, new rebranding, everything's out. We're going to look and feel just a bit smarter. The time has come to smarten up. <laughs> and if we want to, you know, be a big player in the field, I think we need to, uh, yeah, neaten, neaten our image up a little bit. So our new branding's done been amazing. My marketing team, Megan's taken a massive lead on that. Imogen's been supporting. So it's been really, really great. New, I've, I've finally succumbed to a new logo. It took a while. I'm there. But yeah, new logo, um, new branding, new colors, new website. Everything just looks so cool. It just works as well. Oh, we've had websites in the past that look great, but don't work from an SEO point of view. So we've got a really high functioning website that looks really cool. And on the horizon, I don't mind telling people about this. It's not a massive secret, but our plans are for expansion next year. We're going to continue doing as we're doing and expanding. Every, every single desk has been expanding. You know, Europe's mental busy. 
Saudi's doing new stuff, UAE's grown and grown. And then the US is just going nuts. You guys in the US are just amazing. And we're loving everything we're doing there. Um, but we are uh, about to expand it. We're going to have two new divisions. So at the moment, we've got Silver Swan Private, obviously Silver Swan Private staff. Um, we are soon to set up Silver Swan Corporate. And Silver Swan Corporate is where we are going to be offering a tailored service or have a small team offering a tailored service for more office-based roles. We get asked a lot to do um, to help out recruit for family offices or recruit EAs or PAs, but in a business environment. And, and there's a massive market for us to um, continue doing that. We're still going to be focusing on the luxury sector, but it means that we can branch out and do more recruitment into concierge companies, into private members clubs, more office-based positions, but still in the luxury sector, still recruiting for roles that are supporting ultra high net worth. The CEOs in massive, massive, you know, um, listed companies have a team of PAs and EAs in the office, you know, we, and we're well placed to help with that. So uh, Silver Swan Corporate, uh, will have a division tailored to that. And then at the end of next year, we're going to set up Silver Swan Hotels, which is, we've never got involved in the hotel industry before. But if I look at some of the best hotels in the world and look at all the management positions, they're often international staff. And I think that we could provide a really strong support to the top, the top hotels, the five-star you know, five, six, seven star hotels of the world and supporting them with their management recruitment, uh, management recruitment. So yeah, by the end of next year, I hope to have three arms within Silver Swan Group. We'll have Silver Swan Private, Silver Swan Corporate, Silver Swan Hotels. So that's very exciting. Um, looking forward to cracking on with that. And that's it really. I don't know what else to say other than thank you all for everything. I love my job. I love the guys here. I'm very fortunate to be a mom with two young kids and have the flexibility to take Fred swimming on a Wednesday and come in late if I want to do a drop. Like, I just feel so fortunate that to be, I know a lot of people struggle with how do I fit families and careers? And it's, it's not, maybe I'll do a podcast on that. It's not easy. Um, but I'm so fortunate that um, I've somehow winged it and have managed to have this career that I just love. I feel that we're doing a lot of good in the industry. And I've managed to push out two kids. <laughs> so, and also now we're getting to the next stage, like it's still hell, but it's not as hell. And then we're coming out the other side a little bit. So it gives me even more sort of like time and brain capacity, really, to really focus on the growth of Silver Swan now. So if, if you think it's grown a lot in the last five years, whilst I've been having two kids and you, we need to watch out the next five years, um, could be really cool. So lots coming up, lots to look forward to. Um, uh, keep an eye on our website, come and check out the new branding. Please come to our UK event tomorrow. Give me a message if you don't know um, what the details are. It's just our offices here at the ministry. And then, yeah, let's get straight on. This is our best bits from 2023. When you interview for a job, make sure you interview your client or your principal as well. Don't just think about this as a job. You are essentially giving up yourself for a certain period of time and you need to understand who you're giving up yourself to. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Yeah, and also I think some people might feel in interviews, oh, I don't want to seem like I'm going to be difficult with the questions. I think employers massively respect your curiosity and, you know, your interest in them and your enthusiasm for it being a right match for you as well. In all my interviews, I always ask, what, what void do you think I will be filling in your life? Where do you want me to fill, basically? And if they can answer that, then I want to work for them because I like to work for people who know what they want. Some cannot answer that. And honestly, those are the easiest people to work for because they don't know what they want. However, they can also be high maintenance in terms of they don't know what they want. <laughs> but I like someone who knows what they want because I know that they're always going to want perfection from me. And it's, I'm always going to be challenged. I'm always going to be on my toes, which is a lot of pain, a lot of tears. But I like that. I, I like always being on the go. 
you've obviously been recruiting for Saudi, just Saudi, for a long time now. You're a big advocate of working in the country. Tell us why. Oh, where do I begin? Okay, so the obvious answer, well, it's certainly hospitality. This, is, this applies to, I think, every market at the moment. Construction, for one, it must be massive. But in hospitality, it's kind of massively expanding market. I mean, it must be up there with one of the most competitive markets in terms of job satisfaction, what's on offer for candidates, for staff, um, how people are taken care of. It's fantastic. The, the, the lifestyle out there, it's an absolute gem. I've been there, you've been there, we've been there. It's a lovely place to live. The people are amazing. The employers, so the, the Saudis themselves. I mean, I've heard about what it's like to work for lots of different people and lots of different types of nationalities and all the little idiosyncrasies that certain nationalities have and what they are renowned for and working for them is like X, Y, Z. I've only ever heard really positive things about Saudi employers. Um, they're super polite, down to earth. They don't treat you like staff. But, you know, it's much more of a sort of equal arrangement where they're very sweet, not too demanding, not impolite, all this sort of stuff. So you don't feel like you're being worked too hard or not being treated fairly. So, you know, as you said, we've been doing this nearly six years as a company. You know, our Google reviews are exclusively positive. I can't think of a single bad one from a member of staff we've placed in Saudi and has come back and said, it's not the experience for them. Some have said, God, the work is hard. You know, you are, it is not for everyone. To everyone, they've just said, it's been rewarding, pays exceptionally well, you live very well. Um, it's like a new horizon for hospitality staff who are maybe a bit sick of whatever else they've been doing. They're sort of mundane, day-to-day. -day. They've come from hotels or cruise or yacht, or they've worked in Europe or England or whatever it might be. It's a whole new adventure for a lot of people. And, and now it's a household name. I think the Qatar World Cup, I was seeing adverts for holidays to Saudi on daytime TV, which I've never seen. And we work very hard to promote Saudi and show people that it's more than what you might read in like in the Daily Mail or something. But now it's become a household name, which is great. And you typically, with your permanent contracts, you typically hire on one-year contracts, but people just don't seem to come back. I think it's really difficult for anyone to get their first position because what you're what you're relying on is an employer willing to give you your first position. And so I'm really grateful to employers that do that. But there are also benefits to employers that do that because there are sometimes if you take an experience as state manager, you're you're hiring a lot of problems. If you take someone who's never done it before and the employer can spend a bit of time telling you exactly what they want, you got they've got a complete blank canvas, somebody that's just coming fresh. Also, it's got quite a lot to prove. You can't waste the opportunity. You're going to make a good go of it regardless. So yeah, I am very, very grateful to those employers that are like, you know what, you've never done it before, but I'm going to let you in. I was just going to say, it's funny, you know, oftentimes people who talk to me about the industry now, they come from different backgrounds, right? And I know you do this for a living and, and you take a hundred of these calls a day. And, you know, the, oftentimes the concern is, well, I've never managed private estates before. You know, is, is there any way that I can be more competitive? And it's, it's it's the the beauty of the industry is that it's it's your ability to organize and your ability to create systems that adds the value right and i think that's what was the case on my first position was this particular client knew okay yeah he's never managed you know a 33,000 square foot house in bel air before but he's done all of these things in the military and he's reached a certain rank that i know he has developed systems and and you know managerial styles that would be beneficial to, to me in my private family office. So um, yeah, exactly right. I was certainly much more uh, moldable back then than I am now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Military into the private sector is a great transition. 
I should go out there and talk to loads of military people to be like, your world doesn't need to end when you leave the military. There is an arena that you are perfect for. Because I think, and, and you sort of read about it, a lot of military people can feel quite lost when they come out of the military because they haven't got there. They don't know what to do or where to go. And this is actually a really, really nice field for them because I think a lot of the skills are transition, like um, you can sort of transition well with. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like we were talking about the other week. I think that's, it, it's, a, it's an untapped, talent pool, in my opinion, for this type of industry. And, and it's, it's hard, right? Because I remember when I was coming out, you know, you've got all these, you know, military recruiters, right? People that specialize in transitioning military, and they're feeding oftentimes into, you know, the big four consulting firms, you know, Amazon seems to pretty much snatch up any veteran that they can. And those are great industries and, and great jobs. But I, I do feel that that the entrepreneurial spirit of, you know, private family management really allows for a much maybe I'm being biased, but a much higher upside than say going into one of these larger companies. And yeah, I would love to set up a booth outside of, you know, an army base with you one day and, and just talk to people coming out because I completely agree. I think it's I think it's been been critical in my uh, in my my career here. You've been working with individuals for like a really, really long time now. What did what are some of the challenges for you? What are some of the difficulties you find working in this industry? Time management, hands down, especially if you have multiple roles within a home and switching. Okay, this is a really good one. Switching. This is my greatest challenge. And I have to be honest, switching it off, the mindset, moving between my administrative, uh, an administrative role to my hands on house management role or my chef role, because if you're in the middle of something, you have to do something, but you really have to prioritize things. But having a heavy administrative role, stuff you cannot wait, okay? A souffle can't wait either, right? But uh, there are things that you can stop, you can do later, but there's a lot of things that are, cu- that are coupled in your administrative role or things that you need to address or emergencies. You know, you could be in the middle of a dreaded emergency, but also have a pet emergency and have to go to the vet. Being decisive, on the spot, making quick decisions, very prompt decisions. You know, you have a what could be an explosion going on on the back because of a septic in the in, in the rainforest region, which could cause a very big fire. You know, how do you choose? What do you choose to do first? And second, like I've had to say this on a job interview, what are my greatest challenges? Wildlife, pest control, and mother nature. Because when you live and work and you manage um, multiple properties in different regions, you're moving around a lot, right? So you're leaving, maybe you're leaving Florida during hurricane season and you're going to the rainforest region and the mountains, right? You still have to watch your house and monitor your house in Florida. You've done your hurricane proofing, your, you know, your fire season, whatever. And um, you, uh, you know, the, a tree comes through the roof and the house is flooded. So dealing with natural disasters or winters and knowing that your property's under seven feet of snow and fires... I knew it was the right role for me because I think I'm quite organized because Andrew's never had a house manager before. I've never been a house manager before. So the role is ever evolving. And he's, you know, very often says, can you add this to your list? Can you add this to your list? Can you add this to your list? And sometimes I think, yes, of course I can. With my voice getting a little bit higher. But to be productive, I have to be really busy. And I think if I'm not very busy, it's I find that quite demotivating. I like the variation of the, you know, things that you're doing from making a quiche for the weekend one minute and and having a meeting with a planning officer the next, you know, and 
that sort of thing. So I love the variation. I love where the house is. And I think, you know, I'm on a decent salary for the Isle of Wight, which is an expression I really hate. Because if you get a good salary, they say, oh, that's good for the island. Shame, yeah. And I think, well, just because I'm on the Isle of Wight doesn't diminish my, my capabilities. Yeah, or, your, or like your living costs. Like you still have to pay to live. You still need clothes. You still want to go on holiday. Like life still costs money. And nothing's, nothing, I, mean, I was going to say nothing's cheaper down here. Going out is cheaper down here. I mean, <laughs> as an example, I went out with my husband and a friend on Sunday and we stopped at a pub on the way back. And we had one drink each and it was £17. Now, I know that's nothing in London, but on the Isle of Wight, you're like, I'm in a pub and I've just paid £17 for three drinks on the Isle of Wight. So, and in my head, I do think, or somebody in London would think, oh my God, that's amazing. Let's go there. <laughs> Let's go there. So there are things that are, that are cheaper. But your holidays, your clothes, your holidays, your cars. Yeah, stuff like that. What is it? No. No, it's all the same. Um, yeah, Dow, we are in a service office. It's a Ministry of Sound offices. It's very cool. And have a bar downstairs. Very useful. Stroke dangerous. But downstairs, gin and, t- gin and tonic's about 12, 13 quid downstairs for gin and tonic. A double gin and tonic. But I'm from Yorkshire. So when I go home, it's mad. So in my little village, there's, there's three pubs in my village. Not a lot else. I can tell you now who's sat in what pub drinking what, talking about what. <laughs> I literally fall off my chair when I go and get drinks there because you can go and literally get like, I think it's still like, I don't know, 160 for gin and tonic, probably. Something like that. Like, it's just mad. Like, bottle of wine. Well, I don't know, it's just mad. So, yeah, so for, for going out, drinks and stuff is definitely extortionate in London, having said that. Um, but like you say, like everything else that you're doing costs money. But, but I suppose as long as, it, as, long as it's, uh, you feel fairly compensated is the main thing. The family that I work for are heavily into skiing. I didn't know this. And one Thursday, I got an email from my boss saying, I'm sending you some tickets tomorrow. Can you please fly out to Geneva? So I said, yes. Okay, I'm I'm not particularly a good traveller, especially on my own. But I said, yes, yes. Stomach was going around like a washing machine. But I thought, you know, you can do this. Be like a swan, you know, calm on the top pedaling like uh, crazy underneath. Exactly. And um, I said, where am I going? He said, well, I haven't got the address yet. He said, we really need you to come out there because friends of ours have got an 18-month-old child and they would like to ski, but they can't because the child's too young to be left. And we thought it might be quite nice if you came out to the ski lodge. So I thought, wow, this is an adventure. So um, got the tickets, a car arrived the following day. I jumped in the car. He said, where are you going? I said, no idea. So I'm on the phone to my boss. I said, which, you know, where am I going? He said, okay. He said, uh, Gatwick to Geneva. He said, when you get to Geneva, call me and I'll tell you what train to catch and give you the address of where the lodge is. And then we can organize a taxi at the other end. So I said, fine. Okay. I sat on the train once I'd landed at Geneva and there was a lady sat opposite me. She looked quite private and I thought, oh, maybe she doesn't want to talk. And then after about 20 minutes, she looked at me and she said, love your laces. I said, I beg your pardon. She said, your funky laces in your Dr. Martins. And um, we started chatting. She said, what are you doing out here? I said, well, craziness, actually. I said, I still don't really know where I'm going. I said, but the family that I work for, I said, I'm a a Mary Poppins stroke housekeeper, house manager. And um, I said, they're out here skiing somewhere and they need me to come and help them with children and the lodge and you know, a little bit of the cooking as well. And I said, what are you doing here? And she said, exactly the same as you. I said, you're kidding me. She said, no. She said, only a few days ago, 
it was all arranged. I'm going out to Geneva to help look after the children whilst everybody skis and help them with the cooking and the, you know, the shopping and all sorts of stuff like that. And I said, wow, that's really crazy. And we hit it off. And she said, I'll tell you what she said, you really have to get in contact with this group called the Silver Swans. And I said, well, what's all that about? She said, it is invaluable to what you're doing. She said, it's a mind of information. She said, I'm going to put your name forward. She said, I'm going to contact a lady called Laura. She said, and give her your details. And I quickly sort of wrote my number on the back of a cigarette packet or something and gave it to her. And yeah, she she was from the Isle of Wight and she contacted Laura and then Laura contacted me and we had like this little interview over the phone. I bet I know who it is. Is it Charlotte? Yes, it is Charlotte. I was so disappointed she didn't come to London. I know. But I fully understand. It's about £140 return on that ferry off of the island at the moment. It's craziness. So I then uh, got invited onto the the WhatsApp group for Silver Swans. And uh, I haven't looked back, really. The rest is history. It's very important for an estate manager or property manager or caretaker to be able to have the release to make the decision that's best for the property, which is their asset. You know, a lot of our people are in the financial realm and they they deal with multi-billion dollar and million dollar transactions. But yet when it comes to their $50 million house, they're afraid to approve, you know, getting the roof pressure washed because it's full of mold. It's the weirdest things, you know, they'll buy and sell countries, <laughs> but you know, they don't want to get the battery changed and the jag. It's just like, oh my gosh. But I think the the most frustrating part is when it's either a trust level or it's just a, a lack of understanding that we have the best interests uh, financially, but also from a maintenance perspective and for the care and the functionality of the home for them. You know, when they come back, you know, I want everything to be 100% ready to go. And to do that, I need approval to work over summer. So We try to set things up pre-summer to get approval, deposits, get the vendors lined up. But if they don't answer, that's that's the most frustrating aspect from my perspective. It's like, you've come to me, you want this stuff done, but then you're hindering any kind of progress. We have a similar thing here. Someone will call us saying, oh my God, it's absolutely urgent. We are so desperate for a chef. I can't even explain. We need to hire, hire, hire. We'll work our ass off all weekend. We'll have them six options by Monday and I'll never hear from them again. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I've worked all weekend on this. Or they will come back to me. It'll be really slow and be like, oh, I don't know. We're out of town with this. It's like on Friday, this was like, you know, live or die like situation. And now it's been two weeks. You still haven't interviewed anybody. Like, it's just the most frustrating thing. And it's like, do you want the chef or not? No, we do. We do. And I'm like, well, doesn't bloody look like it. I'm a mind management coach and I specialize in the mind management piece. So we talk about well-being. We talk about how to elevate human performance, basically. So it's that emotional intelligence element. And what I specifically focus on is the words that we speak and our thought process. So we manage the way your thoughts work and what happens um, to your behaviors as a result of our thinking patterns. And quite often they can end up limiting us. And when, when, when we're in a high 
pressured role quite often, you're very quick thinking, but sometimes we just need that downtime for ourselves and just time to process our thinking. You know, if we've got some difficult clients with us as well, any transitions that my clients are going through, I'm there to support them step by step. So whether that's going into retirement, whether that's through injury, selling their businesses and just supporting them to, to just to look after them, but look after their mind. And and I think this is where then being that trusted confidant for people to many numerous high um, profile individuals. I work with politicians, sports, ultra high net worth staff, and recently now coming in and we realise that we do quite a holistic approach. And this came out over the last couple of years where we realised that we not only look after the individual but start looking after the inner circle. And when we asked the question about 18 months ago, could this work with the staff that look after the families? And of course it can. It, you know, it works for all sorts of people because you're working with the person. It's the individual, not the name of the company. You know, we're all unique people and we all go through life at different times. Some of us just sway through lives and everything is okay. Others have a little bit more um, that they need, maybe a bit more support. But just being there as that mind management coach and being able to unpick things that might not be serving our clients anymore. You know, some of their ruminating through their thought processes and all these little pieces can really have an impact on their peak performance and can create unwanted thought patterns and habits as well. So yeah, we work very, very closely with our clients, but also look after their inner circle as well to ensure then as a collective, we can maintain peak performance throughout the whole, either your business, within the homes, with the parliamentary members. We can look after the inner circle with their, in their office as well. And yeah, we, we've created quite a niched approach to that, I believe. Where I struggle with managing people sometimes is I'm, I'm always quite a bit of a joker. So I sometimes think people do struggle to take me a bit seriously because I'm always having a laugh and having a joke. But then obviously then I kind of get to a point where I need to manage you and need to deal with issues. Maybe you haven't been doing stuff. So I think sometimes when I sit people down and say, oh, we need to have a chat, they kind of just smile at me and think we're going to have a laugh. And then it comes out quite serious. So I do struggle with that sometimes because I want to get on with people and I want to be friendly. So I, sometimes I think I blur the line. Well, to be honest, I can really relate to that. I'd say I have the exact same challenge with here because I like to think that I'm sort of like quite friends with everybody, but it's, it does make the tough, the tough, tough conversations more difficult when you're amazing. But then to be fair, if I'm going to look at it in a big, bigger picture, I'd probably rather have the, 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 the relationship I have with them and then find it difficult to have the difficult ones rather than the way around and being feared and everything all day long and be super serious. I would probably rather it this way around. But I, I can relate to what you've just said. I think I have the exact same situation here with my guys. Yeah, it's true. But also, I'd, I'd rather be like that as well, because I think people are more willing if they have a problem. They'll also they'll feel more comfortable coming to you. Like if they've got personal issues and they need time off and or if, you know, if they, if they want a pay rise, like I would always, you know, every year I would always try and get pay rises for the staff. And, you know, but if they feel that maybe they deserve more, you know, than they get normally, et cetera. And I quite, I quite like it. I always feel and I always tell people that I manage that you can always come to me or speak to me about anything, anytime, if you feel comfortable with it. If not, you know, by all means, go to, you know, go to you know, the general manager above me. Um, but in general, you know, and, I, and people do. And I, I, I'm quite pleased that people feel as if they can come and chat to me. Yeah, good. It's a, it's a definitely nice way to be. I thought I said before, like, I don't understand the management style that some people adopt, where it's like, 
motivating with the uh, stick, not the carrot, and they like to be fed. I know people that like, they, they seek to make people cry in an interview. And I'm like, what the, is, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what weird power trip is that? Like, that's such a weird thing to want to make other people feel like shit. Like, I just don't get it. No, I, I, I don't. And like people do, like, I think I was chatting to some of the staff here before I came and one of the, 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 the other butlers uh, a good few years ago, he was very much like that. That was how he kind of ruled. And it's just, it's just not maybe, you know, I don't know why, but it just doesn't work for, you know, I don't really see a benefit to doing that. I think if you're, if you respect the staff and you're friendly with them, but also, you know, they have to know that, you know, you are the boss, you know, you are the manager, et cetera, but you can do that in a nice way. There's no need to be aggressive and there's no need to be sort of shouty and ruling with a stick Do it in a friendly way, which is the way I like to do it. You've got to really adapt in these days because, you know, otherwise, uh, if you were uh, straightforward for your uh, your street, your route, you know, you don't go anywhere else. You need to take some time, you know, you have to go on left, you have to go on right, just to check where the world is going, what else you can make it, you know, to improve yourself, to make it yourself better. And because this is a kind of service that private chef can give. You know, if you are focused just on uh, meat and fish and pasta, your uh, expectation is a bit narrow. But if you, you know, you know a bit more on uh, uh, vegetarian, you know a bit more on veganism, you know a bit more on different kind low uh, low carb or gluten free, you got more chance to be added as well. That's it, and you can apply, of course. But the restaurant and the hotels or the pubs, let's say, is a must. It's really, really, really important after to become a, a, a private chef. Yeah, there's a lot to sort of learn. And as you sort of said, if you've done it on a bigger scale, you're just much more confident in the house. And otherwise, I, I do see chefs come. They don't go through the restaurants. They do a few chalets, go into private households. They find six adults and four kids very stressful, which they shouldn't. And they, uh, I know you're laughing, but true. And but also they don't have an they don't have an understanding of sort of like provisioning, ordering, budgeting, menu writing. I am in awe of chefs, by the way. Private chefs, I'm in awe of because, firstly, just cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner plus all the snacks plus all the dietary requirements for the entire family. That in itself, I think, is a huge amount of work under under a lot of pressure, often an open plan kitchen with kids running around and the dad barking and the mum getting struck. So there's a lot to do. But then on top of that, you are also menu writing, catering for certain events, doing your own shopping, unpacking, sorting out the fridge, keeping your kitchen clean. I just think it's a huge amount of work. I love being in these beautiful homes. I love being around people. I love being around their beautiful things. I love help. I love helping them. You know, as a musician, you spend your whole life engaged with beauty and creating beautiful, beautiful music and helping children and, and adults maximize the beautiful sounds. So I feel like now I'm part of the visual side of of maintaining beauty and creating beauty. And it's it's a very special thing to be um, in someone's home and support them and maintain beautiful things. So I feel really, I feel really lucky. I feel really lucky. And I feel like it's just a natural extension of all the things that I've enjoyed in my life so far. So I'm really a people person too. Being I was a music teacher in these private schools, I had four, 400 students a week. And I, um, you know, I like that interaction with people. And I was like, how can I, how can I continue to enjoy being around people, but not being in charge of 400 students a week? It's, it's really been great. It's such a nice way of looking at it like that. Like some people sort of say to me, what so like these people are like serve like servants and I'm like 
no, you're not getting it. It's an absolute honour to have the, and privilege to be in these environments and doing this thing. Yeah, but you're like they're like a servant. No, that's just not. You don't get this world. It's not like that at all. It's as I say, it's a real honour and privilege. And to also, is it like yeah, real honoured that the, the employees trust you to be in the home and have chosen you to be around their family. Like it's such a. I always think this is such a high level of trust that these homes are lots of valuables and you're rooting around bedrooms. Like it's an intimate, it's an intimate sort of relationship, isn't it? It's, it's intimate. And I'm aware of the fact as I'm getting vendors to come to their home and finding doctors for them, I feel this very heavy responsibility. Like what if what if I chose someone to come in their home that was didn't have their best interest at heart? Or what if I chose a dog walker or a doctor or something? You know, it's, it's I feel very protective of them in a way that I'm like a gatekeeper, that, I, that I'm like an advocate for them and to live their best life, protect their property and their family. So it, it is really, a, it really is an honor. I do love my weekly. No, no, Philippa, that's not there. <laughs> well, this, this, morning, this morning was when I thought um, Aspen was in. What did I think this morning? You thought Aspen was in. You were like, we need to talk about our Canadian roles, the ones in Toronto and Aspen. <laughs> like, Brilliant, Philippa. Yeah, but um, Aspen's actually in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Apparently, Aspen's not in Canada. Yes. <laughs> no, it's just it's a ski resort, but it's not in Canada. Well, you were closer than uh, Catherine and I. Catherine and I, first when somebody was talking about it, was convinced it was in Switzerland. So at least you were... At least you were... <laughs> we're very good recruiters, everyone. We're very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great recruitment, terrible at geography. Hey, you can't be good at everything. Exactly. Every day's a school day. So yeah, fabulous. So that's really good. And yeah, it's been so nice to be And some of the growth in terms of new areas has really only been in the last sort of like two, three months. So it's just been like, so it's just cool. It's just going, cool. what's really cool about it? It's a good for geography, but what's really cool. It's just nice that our candidates have got these, these opportunities. Definitely. Definitely. If we only hired for Florida and New York, that's fine. But that's not particularly exciting for candidates that want more than that or want to move out of Florida and New York. So it's just cool opportunities. That's what we want. We want cool clients, cool opportunities and cool places. What I love about the Americans, absolutely love, is that they are ready at the drop of a hat to up sticks and move across the other side of the country. You know, I always laugh with people about this on registrations. I'm like, in the UK, you can't get somebody to move from one town to the other. Whereas you guys are just ready, ducks in a row. Oh yeah, where's that? Across the other side of the country? No problem. I'll be there tomorrow. You know, they are wonderful for that. So yeah, well done, you guys. <laughs> or, they do, or they just sort of hate their families. Oh, this that as well, yeah. <laughs> Ready for a change. I'm a great believer that, you know, training should never sleep. I always want to learn. Somebody said that, you know, I, I, with everything I know, uh, I could write a book, but I could fill a library with everything I don't know. Um, so I, I'm a great believer in that. And now, you know, especially with new technology, there are so many courses. Like I've just enrolled for a course in uh, plating and uh, plate decoration because that's another thing that I can use for work right now. And some of them are really affordable. There are, there are so many websites that one can go to. Um, but yeah, I really believe that training and, and doing courses is essential, especially in our industry when we have to stay on top of our games, you know, and there are new trends, uh, new product coming out, and you have to, to, to be aware of the latest of the latest things that are out, um, you know, for your principal or for whoever you look after. It's so true. Like I can tell dated service a mile off. Dated service, dated table decorations. It, they're, they're definitely, it definitely has evolved. I was listening to a podcast actually yesterday, you know, Diary of a CEO. Mm -hmm. He was doing it with a guy um, and the guy was basically talking about there's a direct link between 
you talk about brain and uh, how brains deteriorate, direct link between learning and when you stop learning, onset of dementia later. And when your brain is learning, there are like, I don't know what you're talking about, active stems or something or other. And basically your brain works in a way. And it's when when your brain is not learning, that's when your brain starts to deteriorate. So just you'll live longer. If you keep learning, you'll live longer. It's like a muscle, you know, you keep training it. I'm lucky in that if a um, principal owner is willing to hire a training consultant and they're willing to be open to that conversation, they're usually pretty agreeable on some level. And it's not that level of chaos. The level of chaos that I've run across in those instances is when I was placed with uh, households that were toxic and were not healthy in any capacity. And the owners didn't want to be teachable or agreeable to any new best practices. And so it was just a turn and burn environment where the staff was continually being run through the door because it was not an effective service culture. So you know, if they're going to bring in a consultant, usually they're open to organizational change and a service culture assessment. Um, and that's where I really feel like the sweet spot is, is that everyone is teachable and we can all come to the table and improve processes for everyone. Yeah, that's a good point. To have you there in the first place shows a certain degree of where they're at. Do you know what I mean? So um, if I look at some of my some of my um, toxic environments, I that you'd be nowhere near it. Like I'd be nowhere near it. They don't, they don't listen to anybody. So... I've learned that it's, it is important to sit back and take space. And I'm very fortunate to have learned that significantly from my current boss. And almost you can create more issues by not taking the time to process properly or create extra work for yourself because you're not taking that time to, to wait for any amendments or changes to, to take in force or further information. And maybe you might have more questions based on whatever is required. And it's key to, to be able to do that. Because I, I think sometimes you're so used to just being on it and making sure things are done so quickly and efficiently that you don't always have time to think. And I have experienced situations like that as well. It is just learning to adapt so quickly in different environments that's a really good like top tip the boss asks you to do something and you wait a couple of hours if you can because like you say it's highly likely things change I've got clients like this all the time they act like knee-jerk reaction oh my god we need a chef a day later oh no we don't sorry ignore that and if I'd have just moved that quick I'd have spent I'd already found four chefs you know what I mean and so sometimes they knee-jerk react and if you knee-jerk react to, to to look after them then you double you'll double up the work you'll do extra work won't you like you say because you do the job then have to undo the job and redo the job so having that pause if you know your client is like that then have that pause is actually a really good tip and that's the wrap thank you very much for tuning in everybody and I'll see you all in January 24.